out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Esau. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, this week it's going to be the turn of the singer and also generally very creative artist and painter and much more. It's the one and only Chatan Demon, who I spoke to very recently to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Was once in various uh, bands, including Pompeii 99 and also Christian Death worked with Roz Williams and has collaborated with other various people, plus has got a new album out with Paul Rosler, which is titled The New Young Kings of Midnight, which is out on dark vinyl records that you'll hear more about towards the latter half of the interview, but um, this is the interview. So after several minutes of interest but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Shatan, it's over to you. I was born in 58, so there was a, an array of great artists growing up in the 60s. Um, I think, <clears throat> geez, uh, I really liked, I really liked the acid rock era. <laughs> um, I liked Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix. Um, doors were more psychedelic. Uh, hmm. I. I uh, didn't care too much for bubblegum pop, um, which there was plenty of at that time. Uh, in the 70s, I loved uh, I loved some of the prog rock, actually, and I loved Bowie, um, T-Rex. They were part of my record collection. Um, yes. I loved Hendrix. I loved Hendrix, and I loved um, I loved Janis Joplin singing. Um, she was so emotive, obviously. Um, yes. I, I loved all kinds of music. I would pick up on different musical trends from guys that I was hanging around with. Like I got into New York soul and I got into, um, in, into reggae and dub music. And I, I got into all kinds of music. Um, it's just you know, I I can't say that. Can't say that. Um, I it, it it always enlightened me. Music always, you know, like yes. The, these artists always in in they were something fresh and new or deep and emotional that resonated. Um, so yeah, I yes. And did you and did your parents have did your parents have any kind of influence on you? Were they at all? artistic or culturally kind of aware of stuff or sort of um sort of had some passion that kind of you know interested or sparked a sort of a path in your life well they were really into music it was a kind of musical family but my dad my dad was into classical music both my parents enjoyed going to concerts uh symphony concerts um my mom was really into Odetta and Johnny Cash and folk music, and I it didn't really resonate with me then. Um, but it's come back, 
to me uh, now. I've always loved Johnny Cash. Um, yes. She liked um, Buddy Waters and... But she she was really liking the Pete Seeger and things like that, and somehow that didn't quite um, didn't quite get me. Um, I like Bob Dylan though, some of his his songs, and come to have more of an yes. appreciation. Um, my dad, like I said, was uh, you know when we'd ride in the car, he would be playing classical music and being a conductor kind of while he was driving. Um, so and now I'm into classical music. I love orchestral music. Um, and uh, listen to listen to a lot of uh, flamenco music lately. <laughs> a right. lot of uh, canciones auténtica. Uh, I like um, Federico Garcia Lorca in La Argentinita. I've been listening to a lot of that. I had a tape in the early '90s, and I've gone back to listening to that and a lot of other artists that are really, really extreme vocalists and just. Yes. I don't dare get envious because it's it's kind of too late for me to develop that area. But oh my gosh, it's uh, <clears throat> again, it's really yes. enlightening to hear that kind of emotion. So, so I, when I'm did, really yes, go ahead. I was going to say, when did you start to discover your own singing voice? Because that's quite incredible and powerful and confident. Oh. Did you did you start singing quite at a quite an early age? Well. I did, but not with any kind of serious intent at all until I was around 20. So I'm, I was really late. I always sang, but I I never thought that I would actually be a singer. So, yes. Um, I was asked to be a backing vocalist for a girl um, when I was about 20. And I said, well, I don't really know how to sing. And she said, well, practice. And once I started practicing, that that was it. You know, there was no turning back. So yes, but did you? Because you mentioned prog rock, you know, and it's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. I had a a brother who was a bit older than me. He's seven years older, yeah. so he was probably born around the same time. So he he was at that perfect age to sort of get into that world that was, you know, the prog yeah. bands of that time. Like yes, Genesis, Wishbone Ash, Buck, James Harvest. All those kind of bands. Was that the prog that you you were also listening to, or was it a slightly different prog rock? Uh, well, I was listening to, I, I like Tangerine Dream. Um, I don't know if you can call King Crimson prog rock. Oh, I, yeah, um, I put them as prog rock, kind of a bit. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, I did um, I did like their, their work, and my dad actually liked their work. Um, as well, when I'd be listening, he'd come in and listen to it. Um, I had, you know, a lot of the stuff that I got into was influenced by friends that were older than me as well. Yes. And I found things that I liked, and I, I liked that. Um, I liked early Fleetwood Mac, really earlier Fleetwood Mac. Um, I didn't like the Stevie Nicks period, I have to say, at all. No. Very poppy, but they had some interesting early early well yes psychedelic psychedelic blues from peter green was quite something exactly he was he was great he was a genius yeah so when when we got to 74 when you were 16 you know i mean punk rock had started to emerge in different forms and different ways did you at that stage did you leave school or did you then continue on to college and kind of some sort of further education well i wasn't very very uh, enamored of 
of school at all. Um, I graduated high school early and took off and uh, ended up in San Francisco, actually, going to junior college up there. And I actually saw punk rock, uh, the, the start of it right there. I saw the, the very start of it. Um, that seemed like things changed overnight. Um, yes. You know, riding around on the buses and going to school and everything. And um, people, the, the look changed. And unfortunately, I had to move again. Otherwise, I would have been uh, probably gotten right involved in it. I loved the music, but I moved to a uh, another area of California, um, Santa Cruz, which is south. Yes. Kind of a bizarre little, um, it was a hippie town. And um, there started a punk rock movement there, and I got involved with it there. So I was... Um, Making flyers. I had a boyfriend who was a punk rock guitar player and um, got a band. And there were different bands. There was a whole little kind of uh, little community of punk rock. And so, yeah, I got involved with it there. And that was exciting. We went up to the Mabuhe. Oh, my God. There's all these live albums coming out from that that particular venue, aren't there? Sort of someone's found a lot of cassettes or recordings of live shows that have been released very recently in the last 12 oh, months oh great yeah well it was a busy place a happening it was a busy place, place. A busy place yeah it was finished by the time i was in a band and we we played on the same street on, on broadway we played at the broadway which wasn't far from the mabuhe but that was in um the late late uh 1983 i think it was Right, there you go. Oh, yeah, so we, so one. when bands like, you know, um, The Damned came along and The Sex Pistols and then I suppose people, you know, like The Ramones and then Talking Heads, what did that have a massive influence on your kind of musical excitement and journey? Yeah, it did. It, it Sure it did. It was new and fresh. Um, I uh, had had in my little circle, my little punk rock circle, um, somebody was able to get the records because in Santa Cruz, it wasn't like there were very many um, underground record stores. You could hear some of it on the radio, on FM radio. Um, and I had a friend who would buy the imported records and we'd get together and listen and drink and smoke and, um, you know, go out to the local shows that were just these small punk rock bands. Um, you'd see the Ramones came and played in the city hall. I think it was the city auditorium. Um, uh, this punk rock boyfriend guitar player of mine uh, played with opening for the Ramones. I Devo played there. Um, and yeah, we, we ate it up as much as we could. Yes, absolutely. I, I, I wasn't a, I wasn't a um, I wasn't trying to be a singer or anything at the time. So it was just again really invigorating, enlivening, and um, fun. A lot of fun. Yes. Know? So when so, so as the, when so when we got to sort of the late seventies, early eighties. I mean, the musical kind of narrative sort of shifts from that punk period to sort of post punk, and then there was you know in this country, you know, in the UK 
the early 80s, you know, we had Thatcher, we had the Falkland War, we had the miners' crisis, Green and Common, we all thought we were going to be nuked, so that was all getting very depressing. So there was kind of the goth movement that started, there was the electronic, new romantic movement, there was a bit of new Paisley, there was those kind of bands, I suppose like, um, yeah, U2, Simple Minds, Big Country started, Julian Cope. Where were you kind of musically at that kind of stage in the early 80s? Oh, in the early 80s, I was in a band at that time that was sort of a mixture of avant-garde, avant-garde, punk, ska. In in L.A. at the time, you could go to a show and you could see many different types of bands on a bill. I wasn't at the very start of punk in L.A. I moved to L.A. in the late 70s, very late, like 79, probably. And I missed The Mask. The Mask started in 77. That was um, the kernel, the, the very germ of the germs and, uh, and and the early L.A. punk bands. So I, I did get in um, kind of on that wave that you're talking about over here. Um, let's see. So there was death... Death Rock had started, had emerged from from the punk scene. It was more theatrical. It was wasn't called Gothic then. No, it was actually Death Rock, and the band Christian Death, which I later um, ended up being a part of. There was that band. There was uh, oh geez, Schlafflosen was a band. Uh, a death rock band. There was uh, 45 Grave was more of like a horror punk band. Um, uh, geez, I can't remember the name of this one other band with Patrick Mata in it. Um, there was there were several bands, not that many bands at, that were involved with death rock. Um, no, because you and the band the band that I was in Pompeii '99 um, would open up for these bands. And so we we got involved um, in that way. There were bands that had a little darker um, edge to them. Like I said, the, the shows would be a kind of conglomeration. We played a show with Christian Death, with uh, 45 Grave, with a band that Paul was in, Twisted Roots. Um, can't remember who else was on that bill, but um, mm. there uh, there were great mixtures, mixture shows, which I really liked. Yes, because Pompeii like, 99, your album, Look at Yourself, that's very yes. scar, isn't it? It's a very boppy track. It, 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 it does. It does have it does have scar in it. Some of the tracks are kind of scar influenced. And um, that. That was interesting. We were just having fun making songs up. I'd never made a record before, or even been in a band. You know, been in a band. I, actually, I was in a uh, in in a uh, a heavy rock band as a vocalist for a while before then. Um, and from there, I went into Pompeii '99, and you know, I, I uh, it it was fun. We actually we actually got uh, were being groomed by A&M Records, nice. which was very, very bizarre. No, it was very bizarre. It was it was a very <laughs> bizarre situation. Um, I think that's when um, record companies were trying to snap up bands to be formed into new wave bands, you know, product. 
Right. And it we we joined Christian death. Some of us got into Christian death mm-hmm. from Pompeii 99. It, it was on hiatus. And then Roz was very good friends with the lead um the lead guitar player uh, and main singer of Pompeii 99. And um, they they were very good friends. And Roz was changing the band over into a new direction. And so um, Pompeii 99 sort of went further fraying out of hiatus into non-existence. And... I didn't know what I was going to do myself. I was just writing songs in this uh, one bedroom that I rented in the back of a house. And um, then I was invited to meet Roz Williams, the singer of Christian Death, and went from there. He he wanted to have me as keyboard player and backing vocalist. So Yes, and that all sort of... So immediately was that was that sort of a um, yes? Did the stars all align? Did you feel like this was you were on quite a mission at this stage? With, um... I I don't know. I um, I'll tell you. You know my my uh, my interest was to to develop my voice. I was really really involved with singing. And I wanted to become very expressive and to do a lot of things with my voice. And um, <clears throat> I loved the music, loved the music of Christian Death. I don't know if I really appreciated where it was going or what an impact it would have. I wanted to perform uh, and, and keep singing and creating music. Um, so... I, I can't say that I was blindly starstruck um, and feeling like I was on top of the world. I was pregnant when I got in the band. I was pregnant with my son, and that's a very different reality when you are when you are pregnant and um, in a death rock band and in in the middle of a lot of. Uh, you know, hedonistic activity around you. Uh, so my my whole thing being, my whole time being in Christian death, I had two children. I had to tour with, uh, you know, two very small children. Um, I did not want to stay at home uh, with kids. Uh, that's why I went, went on tour being pregnant yes. and played. So uh, it's, if any other women have done that, um, which I'm sure there are, it's a whole other existence than being like pretending to be a rock star or, um, you know, just indulging in, in the lifestyle, what you think at that time, um, you know, we're talking about the earlier eighties to mid eighties to, you know, it's a very, very pretty wild lifestyle at that time you know yes well it's um yes there was a lot of things were slipping weren't they but also i have heard you know a few people who were um women who had that experience of um having a child then trying to go on tour with the child and and touring was a nightmare there was 
you know, spending all day trying to sort of keep the baby, small child, kind of fed and um, looked after and they would get a sickness and they would be throwing up and then you'd be sorting out various things and then trying to go on stage performing and nobody was particularly that excited about it because they were young and wanted to you know get you know like you said they wanted to be rock stars they didn't really want to be changing nappies and looking for sort of adapt you know electric plug adapters to sort of fit into sockets to sort of you know warm the milk up and stuff like that so it what it sounds very it sounds very interesting for you having such a sort of a passionate band who had such a following um having that experience when you weren't on stage it it it, my kid my experience with the kids was really not terrible at all not not at all um they were good kids and I mean I will say that I had to nurse before I went on stage and then nurse when I got off stage because in those days shows were a lot longer you know you you'd play for an hour and a half two hours and um with encores and everything so you know there was that um it it wasn't that troublesome and everybody in the band i mean roz was my son's godfather he he loved um my daughter was born when he wasn't around but later on spent a lot of time with roz and he loved the kids but it it wasn't um I mean, the nappy thing is, yeah, that nobody wants a nappy. However, they could come in handy if somebody else, an adult, needs to throw up. You can hand them a nappy to throw up in if they're on the bus and unable to make it. Yes. <laughs> my kids were sick, but it was tiring. And, of course, everybody else is out, um, you know, uh, drinking and and enjoying whatever's offered to them. Uh, yes. staying in the kids, but I loved them, and that was a you know I just looked at it like a different experience, you know. Yes, because in and, that time, I mean, that was uh, what I've noticed with doing all these interviews with bands is that the intensity during that kind of moment where the the you know a band has a zeitgeist and there's that kind of the stars have aligned and there's like gosh, we, it's it's actually happening. No one's really prepared for that moment. Because obviously, mm-hmm. mostly it doesn't happen for you know a lot of musicians and bands. But then when it does, it's quite intense, like solid touring, solid recording, then solid touring. So for the next four to five years with Christian Death, you were having to put out quite a lot of material and lineup mm-hmm. changes as well at that time. So that must have been mm-hmm. pushing everybody to their limit. Well, no. I'm... It's always been a crazy life for me. Nothing's ever been sure. Um, so in, in whether I'm in L.A. or, you know, living in London or Amsterdam, things are always a bit dramatic. And uh, uh, I've enjoyed living in Joshua Tree. Things have calmed down some. Yes. But um, I, I really enjoy peace of mind. And, uh, you know, when I was younger, uh, everything was often very dramatic and people were very dramatic. And um the a lot of good times were in the studio you know just focusing on recording and um for me playing shows i i would play a show be completely crazy at the show and backstage and then i would just go go to the hotel room and yes. uh, be with my child and i loved my child so that was fine for me but um because the first you two out for the first two releases with the band, there was obviously 
quite a difference between you know the first one catastrophe ballet to um atrocities because obviously there was lineup changes what was that like for you as a oh, sort yeah. of an artist and dealing with those kind of people coming and going and you know different people uh, taking well, the mic Roz Williams left in 1985, and I was absolutely heartbroken yes. uh, for the rest of my time in Christian death. Um, I my two children were with the uh, the one who re- who took over vocals um, and valor, and uh, I uh, wanted my kids to have a dad, and and Roz understood that too, and we got. Roz and I got back together in 1990. After I left the band, he had written me a letter saying, thank you for leaving the band, because we, we were very close friends, very close friends. And um, it was like a betrayal that I stayed with the band, but he understood it. And um, I was heartbroken after he left. Um, we had a rapport together, and I admired his poetry. I admired his voice i admired his musical ideas i admired him as a performer and all that changed when he left all of it changed and so uh for me it was like very honestly it was like just just keeping keeping things together for my kids you know until until i couldn't anymore so then i left Yes. And um, being a vocalist, I mean, I, I didn't write anything more for the band. I'd written a couple of songs for the band, um, for Roz. Being a vocalist, of course, I, um, I I probably, for most of my life, practiced an hour a day. Most of my musical life practiced uh, an hour a day, even in hotel rooms, singing into pillows and things like that, um, just to keep my chops together. Um, so I still had, you know, great desire to keep my voice together. Um, being in a band wasn't the end all. I figured I'd want to keep singing for a long time. So yeah. I, I kept I kept up singing. I kept the kids and the dad together um, until 1989. And then... Um, God, that was a big one. Did you tour Europe and the UK um, during that time with the band? You, you mean in the 80s? Yes. Yeah, well, we lived, we actually lived in London um, from 85 to 89 or 86. I guess we we're back in the States for a bit, but we stayed in London and had a, had uh, British members. And um, yeah, and we toured all of Europe. We had, uh, we toured a lot. Yeah. Italy. And, and uh, Germany, France, because um, most yes, countries have a have a particular kind of country that uh, is you know has a passion for them, you know whether it's Italy or Spain. Was there any particular European um, you know country that sort of adored the band? And I think every country seemed to. I think every I can't think of we didn't play Spain when I was in the band. It, it was limited to France, uh, Holland. I think we played Belgium a little bit, uh, maybe a few shows. Germany, um, we 
played in what was then Yugoslavia, and we played in, uh, yeah, pretty, pretty much just Europe, you know, and a little bit of Eastern Europe. Let's see, we played in Greece once. Um, yeah. That was, and what what's your yeah. memory of the your kind of I think it was the last album you did with them, which was the Sex and Drugs and Jesus Christ. Was that uh, what was what was that kind of um, like for you at that stage? Well, I'd had my daughter. Um, she would she would be watched by someone, and I'd go uh, out to the squat that um, the guitar player and the drummer were living in. We had a generator there, and that's where we recorded it. You, you have to understand this band was very poor. Everybody was very poor. We weren't, like, rolling in money or anything. I don't really know what happened to it. I was not managing the band at all. Um, but <clears throat> it was a very poor band. We, we yes. weren't making a lot of money. If, if there, Like I said, if there was money coming in, I don't know where it went. No, so, blimey. Um, where, what, yeah. what, what studio did you use for your kind of last couple of albums? Uh, let's see. The, um, well, there was a squat for Sex, Drugs, and Jesus Christ. Um, Valor, actually, I know where the money went at the end. He had put together, he would amassed some equipment and had a little, little uh, like a rehearsal room or a little, little space. And he was, I, I don't even remember where we recorded um, a couple of the last singles, which... Um, Part of the reason why I quit, I guess. Um, so, uh, Scriptures was in uh, Rockfield Studios in Wales. Because um, that's quite a famous studio, residential. Oh yeah, lots of yeah, countryside. Catastrophe Valley was was recorded there as well, and it's a very famous studio, and it's it's brilliant there. It's absolutely wonderful. Yes. Well, so yeah, th those were great experiences. Um, Ashes was recorded at Rusk in Los Angeles, another great place. Um, it had a, an echo chamber that was built for Aretha Franklin, actually. Um, but the you know, it's my memory kind of, <laughs> kind of shuts out with the last uh, the last records that we did, the very last, just except for uh, scriptures. Yes. So Sex then, yes, and I was going, I was going to say, and then, and then you sort of leave the band, and then go to Amsterdam. Okay. So, what's what's the? How did you manage to make that kind of um, change and leap? With was it two children you had at that stage? Yes, yes. Well, I'd been going to I'd been going to uh, Rotterdam before I left Christian Death, and going to a uh, going to a, a jazz venue a free jazz venue in Rotterdam. I was, and I, that's something else, like with music, I've always been really into uh, certain jazz vocalists. And I love experimental music and avant-garde music. And went to, I went to this place called uh, Thelonious. <clears throat> and it was a free jazz and jazz, experimental jazz center. And I started, uh, I found out that I could be, meet some of the musicians. Um, I was really lucky. I got to sing with uh, this one artist who had played with John Coltrane, the Reverend Frank Wright, who is a really extreme free jazz artist. And um, I, 
actually met Woody Shaw there. We sang some blues together. He's a terrific, uh, very famous American trumpeter who ended up there. A lot of old jazz musicians or, say, middle-aged jazz musicians would end up in Holland or Germany because they would uh, they could find jobs teaching and playing. And uh, I met quite a few um, artists there. And we would put together kind of little jazz orchestras and I would be allowed to sing. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but um, just, you know, I had some kind of sense about it and was taken under the wing um, to a degree. But uh, in order to be a real protege, I had to really be with somebody, be with one of these artists. And I really didn't want to do that. I wanted to, uh, be taken on my own uh, for for my musicality and yes um i i did i did quite a bit there i ended up working there i'd go when christian death wasn't on tour i would go over to rotterdam and i would um, actually work there take uh, like um, preparing the backstage area and then when these uh bigger artists James Blood Ulmer, Sun Ra had played there. Um, a lot of great artists played there. Uh, Cecil Taylor, uh, Mal Waldron. I met met Mal Waldron, and uh, you know he he was telling me about his proteges and everything. And you know, he was fantastic, just playing, just improvising for two hours with a pearl necklace of Billie Holiday wrapped around his wrist. And um, so that was a that was a really great time um to learn about music and yes. so i did that and th that connected me to amsterdam is where this is going it connected me to amsterdam i was offered to do a solo show in amsterdam and i had met an upright bass player that we had a really great rap war with and we decided to do a show in amsterdam and it was really all improvisation and we did that and I met somebody in Amsterdam who had been a big fan of uh, you know Christian death and I got connected with him and that's why I moved to Amsterdam and right. I did have kids yeah I had the kids and it was a difficult um kind of breakup but it it, it had to happen you know it really had to happen had to get out of that band. <laughs> <laughs> yes, quite a lot of people have that same feeling sometimes. But then, yes, yeah. you you sort yeah. of released two singles quite quickly, didn't you? Um, a Heavenly Melancholia and Lullabies mm -hmm. for a Troubled World, which then came yeah. out as a compilation on Cleopatra Records, which is called, is it yeah. Facets in Blue? So your solo career really takes off quite smoothly, doesn't it, at this stage? It, well, I suppose so. Um, it it didn't seem smoothly at the time, but, you know, if you look back on it compared to what somebody might have to go through now and especially emerging from a band like Christian Death and doing something entirely different. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was fairly smoothly. Yes. And then so I had, the I had support. I had good support from the person I was with. Brilliant. There you go. That's was that was that Rose? No, that was Nico. Nico. I had, I had Nico, yeah. 
somebody named Nico. That was my uh, partner that I was living with, and he 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 um, put a lot of effort into helping me get started as a solo artist. Right. Yes. But it, it was very weird, though, because I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, and I was uh, being kind of fed information. Oh, you should do this. You should do that. There were some record comp bigger record companies interested. And, I, you know, I really didn't want to go commercial, but there was an effort with Heavenly Melancholy to go commercial, and it really wasn't me. I didn't really know who exactly me was at the time. So, I, you know, it's taken me quite a while to find out. Yes. But, and yeah. what other musical styles influencing you? Because in this country, you know, obviously, I sort of mentioned the early 80s, and then by then, the mid-80s, we had a lot of that indie pop sound with people like the Smiths, and then Ecstasy comes yeah. along, and then we have the dance scene, which, you know, obviously is yeah. quite big with people like the Stone Roses and Happy Mondays and Soup Dragons and Beloved, right. and there's the the Chicago house sound and Acid Jazz, Acid <laughs> Acid rock. No, what was it? Acid yeah. house. Acid house music. That's what I'm trying to remember. And then we had the mm -hmm. Seattle grunge scene coming over yes. as well, which was, you know, That's some, right. you know, Nevermind comes out. So was that kind of feeding into you at that, you know, at that well, time? Well, it's, you know, it's all interesting. But what I discovered about myself and what I know now, I was really had a penchant for, but didn't know how to get it. Uh, the things that really, really uh, turned me on whenever I'd hear them were more experimental sounds. And I did not know how to get that. Um, I didn't even know exactly that was what I was looking for. Um, I was lucky enough to, to get to experiment a little bit. Christian Death had some experimental things going on at times. Um, you know, with some with like a uh, what is it? Noise hand permeates um, on catastrophe ballet. Awake at the wall. Some of the tracks were more more experimental, and some of them were poppier. I really like more experimental music, and I think that's why I really got into being involved with the free jazz and yes. improvisation. Um, although we'd always go into you know a wing of uh, of an instrument and everything and that was fairly predictable but um yeah uh i i i did a few like the improvisation thing with the stand-up bass and um well it's not really great um example but um i i found i really enjoyed experimental more and everything else is pop pretty much <laughs> compared to <laughs> Yes, and then um, so with the mid nineties, you you collaborate again with Roz, don't you? With this kind of album, yes. Dream Dream Home Heartache, which has got yes. cover versions by Hendrix and Brian Ferry. So was yes. that um, was that the first time you started to work again together after you it, know for ten it years? It was. Yes, it was. He had written me a letter after I left Christian Death that he wanted to work together again. And so I finally met up with him. I guess it was 91 or 92. And um, then we we put together uh we put together a tour. Well, the guy that I was with, Nico, put together a tour for us. We toured Europe. 
um, with his band, my band opening for his band. And um, after that, we decided to do some recording. And uh, we we thought we'd just go in and make a single um, with Dream Home Heartache and Manic Depression, I guess. Those were the two songs. But when we went in, we had more time. So we made up the other songs. And um, then we toured with that album. And uh, yeah, that's that's what happened. Um, he stayed with us in Amsterdam quite a bit. And then uh, he lived, of course, he lived in Los Angeles also. So, yes. Did that feel yeah. like quite a nice experience after nearly 10 years to sort of have some oh. sort of a bonding, you know, bonding creative moment? Oh. oh, yeah. Yeah, it was great. It was, uh, it was really great. I was very nervous. Um, and I had been really guilt ridden about staying in the band um, without him you know, staying in that band. And uh, so I was glad it was over and we could talk about it. And it was great to work together again, really great to work together. When I moved back to Los Angeles at the end of 96, and we were, we and other friends were hanging around each other and playing a lot of shows together, uh, different members in, in each other's bands. And um, yes, it was, it was very good. It was very yes. good, musically and friendship-wise. It's a great album, just brilliant album, isn't oh, it? Oh, That's a good Thank one. But, but then you go, you do another solo album, which is Am I Wrong, in sort of 1998. So this one is back in L.A., is it? You were, you were... No, this, well, this album actually was recorded in in Rotterdam before I left. I had I had done those recordings, and um, to be honest, they were they were demos. To be honest, they were they were demos, and I was in a real situation where I needed to release something. Um, Needed to release something to to get to to make some money to uh, have my kids and I survive a little longer in Los Angeles, just alone with each other. And uh, again, a friend of mine and with influence like Roz influenced me too. He said, "Well, you should put these out. These sound these these are excellent songs. Put them out." And so I was able to put them out and. Um, those those songs were actually recorded around ninety six, right? Yeah, but then you have a much bigger budget for your follow up album, which is kind of towards was it ninety nine? You bring out Stars of Trash, and this is yes. this is quite a sort of different sonic quality at this stage, isn't it? <laughs> it is. It it really is. Uh, um, so I've been doing backing vocals for a band called Dreadful Shadows. And they were very wonderful people, and it was a wonderful studio. And I uh, was invited to come back to Berlin to to record my album. I I actually played them songs when I was there uh, that I had written for the album, and um, so I was I I wanted to get this album done. It had 
it had songs on it of friends of mine that had passed, like like Roz and like a few other people that had I'd been very close to that passed in '98. They'd committed suicide in '98 and or overdosed. And I wanted to get this album done. And I was, uh, my kids were living with their dad, and I was worried that about uh, actually about um, surviving in in a situation I was in. <laughs> and so I went over there and I had, I had actually made some demo tapes of the songs and I got to the studio and I was very, very uh, immature, I suppose. I didn't know that producers could actually take your music and change it so completely. I didn't recognize some of the songs. Right. And if they were actually, they actually wanted, and now I think, well, of course they would want to, but then I was so naive. They wanted this to be a mass production and to have it be like a big hit in Germany, have bring me out as a um, kind of German pop diva. And I didn't know any of this. I actually wanted the song to be wanted this the, the songs to be much less produced mm. more like um more with more acoustic sounds and um a lot more organic and what i was faced with was the record company Vilklong uh getting really really upset holding up the production the recording for some days until I was able to get a compromise where I could um, have some of the songs the way that I wanted them and they could I could choose what songs they could produce the way they wanted to and so that's how it worked out eventually but um, it was I I was very very naive I have to say I've been very naive most all of my musical life and just kind of gone by intuition and instinct and not always been right yes. so, um and like i said i didn't really even know that deeply i'm experimentalist and um so we'll see what comes later right <laughs> but um uh, so that's how that album got done and it was indeed sold uh it was going to be sold there was a middleman who uh wanted to sell it to warner chapel and um everybody thought that i would go along with that and it would have motion in the u.s and in europe and it was in all the playstations in germany when it first came out at that moment, um, I had to go back to the U.S. to look after my mother, who was very ill. So I was back in the States. There was a great deal, and I will um, insert here, there was a lot of machinery going on. It was very bizarre that was primed for getting me involved with a major company that would, to me, 
to my thought, basically enslave me um, to be, you know, continue repeating, repeating my work that was coming out and creating hits, which I don't even know if I could have ever to do that. Yeah. So um, I was involved with a, uh, with with this machinery going on. Nobody ever told me anything about it. Um, it wasn't spelled out for me. Uh, Nina Hagen's drummer played on Stars of Trash, and he had he was a music lawyer, and he had changed the uh, changed the contract and told me don't sign this until they give it to you in English, and they never gave it to me in English. I saw the company and argued with him of of this the record company of Vilklong. And I think that he saw how hard-headed I was. Um, but they eventually gave me some advance. I got back to the States. The contract from this middleman was sent to me, and it was absolutely ridiculous. And I just said no. And then I was um, reported as being crazy for not signing the contract and going along with it. And the the album was taken off the uh, playstations at or play what do they call those play you know where you can listen to a record oh yes you used to be able to listen to you know a cd or whatever the tracks so that was removed and i've that was in 2000 right so and so that was stars of trash that you're talking about that experience And it it never was released. It never was released, at least um, properly. It was bootlegged out of, I think, out of Russia or somewhere. Right. My God, that is difficult. And at the same time, Roz was also in that terrible state and committed suicide. So you. Well, that was in 98. That was before I went over. I went over to Berlin in 99. And and those guys in the Bad Rebel Shadows, were, they were very nice. And so was the producer. Um, but um, the whole business area, I just, I just want to say that in case any of them ever listen to this. You know, yes. Were, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> but, then, um, yes. Yeah. And how did you cope with the, the loss of Ross? Was that oh, terribly. Terribly, and another of our of the very inner circle of our friends had OD'd uh, in uh, late '97, and then Roz, you know, on April Fool's Day, and um, I coped with it by just getting, just drinking, 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 and um, I. And that was that was in '98. Um, I drank a lot. I married. A, I think I was probably maybe forty-five or fifty, something like that. I married a like a twenty-three-year-old guy that I'd known for a couple of weeks. I was completely traumatized and didn't know what I was doing. And um, I will, you know, say pretty mentally ill. <laughs> then um, we had uh, we had a tour coming up. In May, I had a a solo tour coming up in May, and uh, yet another dear friend committed suicide. My bass player committed suicide. Um, So we were all very, 
very nutty at the time. We did do the tour and and came back. Um and and I I continued to make toured in the States. Um and then uh, yeah, I went over and did the Stars of Trash and I looked after my mom. I got out of there and looked after my mom, taught myself to play guitar and went into I, I really wanted to give up music at that point because my mind had been blown by all these all these um commercial machineries that were underlying uh music for me you know that i i just didn't know anything about and i hadn't been inducted into them by you know in in reality any kind of way um the companies i'd worked with had been really friendly and and um uh, direct so then when i was looking after my mom i taught myself how to play guitar and i got into i playing a, a form of guitar. So how, so how many years were you in that stage looking after your mum back in, was it in LA you were stationed? No, I was, I was in Santa Clara County, in San Jose, right. looking yes. after my mum. Right. Uh, and- yeah, that was, that was, I was there on and off for two years. I was there on and off for two years. I actually played some shows up there with another band. And um yeah, I was painting painting in the attic in the attic and uh playing guitar, writing writing songs. Right. So that was during the sort of the famous millennium bug period, wasn't it, where we thought it was all going to finish and Planes were going to fall out of the sky, and then and then that didn't quite happen. So then, sort of as as the as the O years progressed, did you start to sort of find your path again and um, how to create and and make music during that uh, next period? Yeah, I uh, I wrote I wrote on guitar, which was a first for me, and um, eventually that turned into a band called Christelle's. Um, when I was up at my mom's, I bought some, uh, some toms that were very big. I taught a couple of kids to play along with songs, but that didn't last long. Um, I was really out of my mind, I think. <laughs> and that's okay. A lot of us are. Um, so, uh, these, these kids, we did, we actually did a show, um, these toms were really huge. I wanted to get the biggest drum sound I can. So they were kind of like timpani if you used mallets on them. And the beats were very simple for the uh, for the songs I was writing on guitar. But it, it didn't last. Um, I moved to Long Beach, uh, which is south of L.A., and um, Lived there for a while, continued to write songs, um, did a lot of painting, which I lived off of. And um, eventually I turned this whole project with the guitar, like I was saying, into this band, the Christelles, with my daughter. My daughter came and my kids came back to me and um, I had I taught her to play beats on the maracas and we were doing some little shows together around LA and Long Beach. And then we got her, I gave her these toms and we got a ride cymbal and a snare and 
We were playing a lot. We were playing really a lot. She and I with the Christelle. She was very young, so mm. we have to we have to wait in the parking lot um, till it was our turn to play. And we were having a lot of fun. I mean, uh, there's some there's some videos of that online. I know of excellent. Some of our- yeah, and uh, we got a bass player. Bass player wanted to join, so we let a bass player in, and then we let another bass player in. We toured Europe with both bass players at different times. Um, it was a good band. Um, we put out one album, a vinyl, called Attach and Detach. Um I mean, we taught ourselves to play. We were really like quintessentially punk. Um, and just as we started to play shows before we really could hardly play, but um, we got a lot of experience and we got very good at it. And we uh, wrote another album. I wrote the album and um, the studio that the tapes were in Actually, the uh, storage area was uh, got burnt down, so we lost the tapes. There's only a couple songs that remain, but that's how it goes. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but that's obviously quite a um, was it quite a healing process during that time with your daughter and um, yes, making music in a, in a very different lineup. Well, uh, what do you mean by healing? Well, in the sense of, um, yes, good point, good question. Um, in the sense of, yes, kind of being able to, did you say you reunited with her again after not my seeing? Kid, yeah, my kids came back. First, my son did when I when I had a home again, a proper home, uh, when I wasn't looking after my mom because yes. she, had, uh, she had dementia very bad, Alzheimer's, so I had to. That had to be before, so that it was good they weren't around. Yeah. Yes. uh, So, uh, well, it was wonderful to have my son back. I mean, you know, beyond anything else, I love my children. So, um, first my son, and then my daughter. My and uh, that was it was amazing to have them back, and I felt complete. And so, the music thing was just. It was like I'm playing these songs. I was actually doing some shows just with guitar and voice, and so she, her accompanying me was was great. And then she got really good on the drums, and uh, was fulfilling for her. The last album, she was singing a few songs on, which she loves to sing. So it, it was an amazing experience, and she, yeah, in that way, uh, them returning was was just completely fulfilling and 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 healing in that way um playing music together was always just crazy you know it's just a, a crazy uh, crazy moments yes well and probably probably yes the, I, I guess it's the the dynamic between the the group of you was probably as as or more important than what what the final product was or the final outcome it was more to do with the um yes being able to do something as a as a unit and as a team and as a family and and that i suppose that's why i refer to as healing as a sense of uh, creating a new history yeah, a new it narrative it was, it was good um you know it's it's not that easy but um 
and we didn't certainly didn't think of it that way. We um, we did a lot of painting together. Also, she's quite an artist, and uh, yes, uh, we would we would we there were just the two of us on stage for a good few years first before we let anybody else in the band. So we would be accompanied by paintings as well. <laughs> we have paintings on stage. Excellent, a multimedia production. We love those. Yes. That's right. This is always good. You've got to push the boundaries. So then, two thousand and third was it two thousand and thirteen? You start doing other other projects as well, or you do moon? Is it moonlit paradise? Oh, um, first there was. Let's see, it was reflecting shadow, which was a solo album, and and um, uh, that was one of the bass players. The last bass player in Christelle's, we had had two. He was quite an instrumentalist, and he created the arrangements for songs for Reflecting Shadow. And that was a solo album. And then there was Heaton Tears, Moonlit Paradise. And we that was, uh, again, with Jean-Paul uh, Gardier, who, who uh, did the arrangements for uh, the Reflecting Shadow. And, yes. Uh, we we had planned to go on with that band, um, but uh, we I actually I actually wrote for a year for the album for Heaton Tears. A whole year was put aside for writing for that, and um, Jean Paul had created music for it. We recorded the album and the computer. It was on computer and it was destroyed. So. There was no Heat and Tears album, which we had planned on. And so I just said, oh, well, the hell with it. And just started something new, which uh, turned into GDQ, the Jetonimon Quartet. Right. So this is your your next kind of big kind of project. but Because you'd sort of really started to develop your sound and your kind of sonic quality at this stage you know it seemed like you were your experimentation and your sort of vocals were beginning to become much more kind of confident and established yeah I was um treading ground that I was much happier with that I knew um I knew uh I wanted to go somewhere with it it wasn't the same old you know kind of uh pop format although some of reflecting shadow is i hadn't really evolved out of out of that area yet but yes. the instrumentation is closer to what i was sort of searching for yes so your your first album as the as the quartet is this past the sun was that the first release yes you? yes and this was with this is with deb paul and rick yes this That's is right. the one. This is one. so. By then, were you feeling like this was much more of an established lineup and um, a project? Yeah, this 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 was something that you know I felt I'd been waiting for. Um, I really found myself that all things were possible here. Although it it we did have a, a the kind of idea that we were going to work with repetitions but um, try to explode the repetitions. Like the idea was to, to say you're, you're in a box, but sonically you could explode at certain you know, points in the box so that you'd forget about the repetition and go more into the areas that were sort of like 
out going outside the box, which right. we, yeah, which which we felt we we could do and we could do live and experimenting with a big uh, some shows I put together that were with uh, like punk orchestras that were 17, 17 piece orchestras with the repetition that just everybody just rode over it, but somehow managed to come back into it. So yeah, it was a, a great experiment. Did you then bring out a second album at that stage towards the end of the decade? Yeah, we did. Uh, uh, we, we did uh, Pass the Sun. We did some Strata Strip. That was the second, the second album. This was on Dark Vinyl Records. Yes. And it was all going terribly well. And then... The decade appeared, didn't it? And then, so did was that the last album you did before the lockdown period? It was. Yes. It was. How, yeah. how did you? Um, so, how did you cope with lockdown for those first couple of years? Did you go back to uh, writing and painting, or? No. Um, well, I was working on. Uh, I was working on a, a conceptual. Uh, what I was calling an experimental opera because it had a libretto, I wrote a libretto for it. And um, it it was a project that started actually around I don't know, 2016, I guess, 20, maybe 2015. I, I'd been uh, contacted by a, an experimental and ambient and noise artist from Germany it goes just by the initial N, mm-hmm. and um, he approached me to do a collaboration. <clears throat> it took a took a long time, but uh, he sent me some tracks, and I really liked them a lot. Um, and I started hearing things that I could do, and that's the main the main thing is if I can hear my voice in something. So um, I started working on it, and he sent more tracks. And he said, you can pick and choose whichever tracks you like or whatever, however you want to do it. And I liked all of them. So I made the story up. The uh, It was supposed to come out this this fall, the, the box set Despair. We can really only afford to have 100 of them made up. It's very long, so there's four vinyls. And uh, I have a a book with the libretto, the lyrics, and uh, illustrations that my daughter painted. Um, and, and it's a story basically about um, a, a man who is, he's an elderly man, and he's confined to a wheelchair, and he is he is deteriorating, and his mind is now deteriorating. He lives, um, he lives on a mountaintop up in the woods. Um, when he lived there... I guess uh, forty years he had moved. He had moved there with his wife and um, children, and um, she passed. And the children are looking after him now. Um, the cabin mansion that they live in, he discovered, are actually built on burial grounds, uh, Native American burial grounds, and that haunts him. Mm. And finds out his his. Uh, ancestors were involved with the extermination of three different tribes and 
he's very haunted and he's the whole the whole opera if you were to see it would be this man in a wheelchair and the uh the story is all narrated coming out of his mind so and he's slowly losing it and just the haunted you know there's a lot of information about the tribes and what happened and a lot of uh, natural phenomenon is um, in in the lyricism as well, and um, so he he basically doesn't want to leave his children with his madness. So he he does something about it, and I'll, that's all I'll say. We yes. only had we could only afford to have a hundred of these made because they're they're kind of an art project almost well absolutely um, so are they available on your website by the way they're not available yet i made oh. uh, I, on my facebook i made uh, actually made a promo for it because I've, I've been waiting for them they're all complete they're completed but they're in germany and they're not being they haven't been sent to me yet um there are three investors involved and we'll each get 33 of them to sell right and, I, they're they're late coming, and I I haven't heard from my German collaborator. Um, so I imagine he's very busy, but I'm waiting for them. So in the meantime, um, the new Young Kings of Midnight has come out. Yeah, so yeah absolutely. That, yeah, that that project. Um, I finished recording it um, for Despair. I finished recording it. Um, during during the virus time, the lockdown time, I went to Paul and we finished recording it, uh, the second session, and it was done. So that was in development during during the, the virus time. And Paul and I had begun uh, we had we had begun a couple of tracks for New Young Kings of Midnight. Right, because that's um yeah, so it's a seven track um, album that's coming out and. Um, yeah. It's an absolute. It's it's such a fantastic album. So, thank you. So, being listening to it quite a lot in the last five days, there's there's oh. a lot kind of going on. Is is there a, a story? Because it starts with a track called "Funeral," which obviously um, it mentions things like uh, "Move the Stone, Enter the Tomb," and and it has quite a kind of quite a vivid kind of. Um, imagery to it and then it goes right through okay. to different di different types so is there a is this a concept album of well, sorts yes it it uh i i had asked paul to to create music for me um because i knew i just i couldn't there's no way i could do it um and so it it's about it's about the it's about loosely it's about the life of, uh, say, someone like Roz or a young, um, a young star, somebody who rises to stardom. I, I started this as a big thank you to Roz for such a wonderful being such a wonderful friend and uh, musical illuminary in my life, and so. Uh, I wanted to write this and and it um it's it's a story of the life and death and um how can I put this um I could say it in a few words um so say these brilliant artists are born and 
the second track, second track on there, um, the third track, let's see. There's the, the third track, ex Exquisite Fits of Delirium, but the second that's track. That's right. The third, the third track kind of puts it in a timeline. And this was the one track where I, I didn't feel I could be completely, um, have, my, have my complete experience involved in it. Um, so it was great because this, this part is about the era that punk was born, that where the whole mask energy you know the mask in LA, the uh, where the the punk kind of came out of, and the LA punks kind of came out of, and Roz and Darby were a part of that. So that that's where that that piece um, springs from. That's the time, yes, the time period. So um, there's there's the birth with core and the time period. And then the uh, the area where he's beginning to perform, or you know, where there's the performance and the rise to stardom. And uh, going back to your your second track, is it Cora? You pronounce it. it it's called Cora, Cora, which means heart in French. Right, because your vocal yeah. it's a much more the the rhythm is much more staccato, isn't it? And your your vocals are incredibly. Yeah, amazing. I mean, just extraordinary wow. sort of uh, dexterity and, and sort of ability to sort of express so much. So it's quite an interesting because, as I said, you yeah. know, funeral, you know, is, is, has kind of imagery of moving the stone and enter the tomb. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then you have exquisite flight is much more calm and there's a sort of a sense of, you know, like a little bit yes. of stability but then yeah. what i find so your track the new young king of midnight that reminded yes. me a little bit of a musical i don't know something like jesus christ superstar i don't know if it did i, um, I know what you mean i know what you mean it's a little bit like kurt vilish or something yes like maybe a little bit you know uh or maybe maybe not some i don't know something it's what a, did you it's, say? I, I remember growing up and there was a soundtrack of Jesus Christ Superstar and it had this very expressive performance. It was like kind of real musical theatre. And I just thought, God, this sounds really, you know, it has that kind of spirit. I could imagine it being performed on stage. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, I it, it was reminiscent to me of something kind of almost cabaret. And, right. And you know, like maybe close to what you're saying. Very dramatic anyway and theatrical. Yes. But um yeah, so this this uh we move from okay, so we start with the end basically and then move into the birth of, you know, somebody and their maybe their their uh environment growing up, and then they move into um, you know, becoming a a persona. And, and worshipped and doing well and then uh where that takes them you know yes. where, that them, where that takes them there and then you know paul and i we had a lot of discussion a whole lot of discussion about this about the piece this this was you can tell by the actual music itself how much paul put into it i still can't get over it 
that just the layers and layers that he, he put into creating this music, I, I felt like this doesn't need any vo- voice to it, you know, <laughs> it's the way it is. Um, but, but it's interesting. So the, my 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 sort of the favorite track on the album is the fifth one, Feather, which has got this amazing uh, ride until the end, and and it reminds me a little bit of that essence of some of David Bowie's latter work as well. So uh, how does Feather relate to this kind of narrative in your uh, mind? But I just know I just love that last minute in it, and it's a five minute track, and there's something mm-hmm. quite magical as it builds up towards the end. Rise very story storybook like so so one of the discussions Paul and I had um, it started out as my kind of ode to Roz but um, because of the the story and the suicide he said well this is now about um, my experience with Darby too so anyway we started discussing what could what could they have achieved if they had not committed suicide right what if they had gone another way. So Feather is all about, you know, it's it's about how we were affected, how, say, Paul and I individually were affected by our friends committing suicide mm. and then looking what could have maybe could have been possible. So since I'm I was writing it, um, this, you know, I, I re- these are all memories that I have. Um, so if, if he hadn't died, um, maybe he could have become a father. Maybe he, you know, could have could have uh he, he maybe he could have done done a, lo- a lot of different things besides just um you know continuing to be an artist and um i say just because there's always so much stress involved and there was a lot of stress involved for him and disappointment so you know maybe he could have been a father and 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 shown you know shown her everything that he knew or 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 a male child so this this was one way of encapsulating um, maybe something that that could have happened, you know, mm. if because he Roz, for instance, loved children very much, so maybe he could have been, been a father. And um, yeah, I love this piece that um, Paul wrote. Um, some of the other pieces were very difficult, and he he said that he decided to give me a break with this piece. <laughs> it's kind of all the things. Rock song at the end, you know. So, yes. Well, no, yeah. it's um. I just recommend anybody to listen to the whole album, but especially, you know, especially yeah. that song. But I think it really works yeah. as a piece. So then, April first, obviously, that um, is the date, isn't it, where Roz? Yeah, yeah. That's is... the date. That's the date that Roz committed suicide. And again, this is looking at another area where. Um, if he hadn't, maybe he would have found uh, the something that he was that was very important to him, and that's finding somebody, you know, a, a lover that would be just for him, and you know, that, where love could work out and could, could learn from that, and it would. So that's basically the, that part of the story. Again, that was very important to Paul and I discussing this um, that. To show that there could be other possibilities had uh, both Darby and Roz live, yeah. lived. Yeah. I've read, then, I don't know why, but I wrote the word rejection next to April the 1st. Was there a, a, a theme of rejection in that song? Um, in, in this song? It's, in, the, uh, in, in April the 1st, was there a sense yeah. of rejection? 
past father of stone, cold rejection. Yeah, because yeah, the his you know ex his experience with his father was like he wasn't accepted for right so close to the end of his life. You know, I remember him telling me quite quite a bit. So. Um, it seems like his father was actually supportive in the beginning, but I, you know, he, they had, uh, you know, his, his dad was very religious. They had, uh, his dad had rejected who he was. And then he wondered if he was Jesus, you know, <laughs> very, yeah. Lots of, you know, yes. Tricky, tricky moment, that. really. But then yeah. the last track come, which is kind of there's there's again a line sort of um, is it mother come back yeah come back to you was so this is a sense of um, returning back to the womb did I yes. read that right yes yes we did yes <laughs> and it's actually in a song from Roz from Roz Williams that right. that line so I was uh, kind of happy to to be able to put put that in for him too so yes you're right and yeah. you, you're a one you're just wonderful i'm i'm a terrible person to interview and and i'll tell you uh um you know typical tragic uh you know kind of musical life and um emotional life in a way but i have a really positive outlook um i don't know if i'm going to be doing more Doing more music. I've been caregiving for a few years. Um, Rick had very severe head trauma in right. January first, and I've been looking after him. And um, it's so I'm I'm doing that now, and um, working on another just to keep busy. Working on another band, um, and we're actually covering a couple of really avant-garde Scott Walker songs and writing our own songs as well. So um, I think it's really difficult for them because my penchant for doing more experimental work is is uh, driving everybody nuts. So I don't know where that's going to go. But you're really lovely to put up with my flutterings and flusterings as I try to. Oh, that's fine. Uh, try but, to um, interview. No, well, it's been it's an amazing journey and an amazing story, <laughs> and and coupled with so much beyond the music, which is always difficult to um navigate and and yeah. you know one one is kind of spinning these kind of plates and trying to have some focus and some time to keep one's own yeah life spirit alive which is um, um, yes yeah well you know i wish i could tell a tale of just you know stringing one thing to another but it's so intertwined you know Yes, well, absolutely. It, it, there is a narrative, and it's amazing that you've had Paul sort of been there uh, for the last ten years, keeping. Oh my gosh, he, he's just been—he's—he's he's like my favorite person. He really is. Yes. It's, yeah, um, Paul is like my favorite person, and I—I I just adore working with him, uh, talking with him, um, hanging out with him. He's just always just amazing. Yeah. Amazing so, friend. So with this album that's just coming out, December 2023, which is going to be available on Bandcamp and probably CD, then next year you've got this 
you know, limited edition um, release of 100 copies coming out and then <laughs> hopefully another kind of release later on in the year. Well, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> this, this is true. Who knows? Who knows? I, if, if I stopped, if I stopped um, this record with Paul would be, I'd be happy with that, you know. But I, every time I try to stop uh, with music, it just sort of like grabs me by the neck and I uh, won't let go. Don't let go. That's a good point. Yeah. Don't, you just got to keep, you got to keep it going. I mean, your vocals, <laughs> I have to say your vocals... And the musical arrangement on that el this album just out are stunning. I mean, it would be <laughs> awful not to hear kind of more music in the future with with such a great kind of vibe and a sonic quality. Well, thank you very much. So, um, yes, and it's a it's a lovely kind of the the record label. I don't know what your experience, but it seems good. And actually, I do like the 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 cover as well, which is beautifully put together. Yeah, I I I like it too. There I've been um friends with Dark Vinyl for quite a long time. I've known them uh, since the 90s and they've always been really good to me and um personally and yeah, they're they're wonderful. I don't, you know, all they have to do is just put put the work out and they've been willing to do that with um and you know it's a, probably always a little bit out of genre for them but they know me very well so yes they're they willing to do. do that and it's great because <laughs> you've got a band camp page with virtually all your solo projects on haven't you as well so anybody can so yes. you've, got all, you've got all that archived so that's brilliant i mean just i mean if you could have whispered something to you like your 16 year old self starting out is there anything in particular that you might have said oh yes i would have mentioned that to them, even if they ignored you being young. Oh God. That's difficult because life is really full of changes. I guess to just I don't know, do everything you can to follow your dream. Yes. You know, uh I can't I like I told you, I wish that I would have known sooner what a what a musical weirdo I was and that I was uh, really the uh, experimental and avant-garde were really, really at the core of me, but I had to go through all these other areas to find that out. And um, so I, I, I couldn't really give advice except just uh, don't give up. You know, I think, I think a lot of people give up too soon when they're trying something. If it doesn't uh, just, work out the way they want it to um, do it for yourself and keep going yes and yeah. also with a few people I think they've often got to that point where they regret having a break whereas with your career you've you know pretty well from 81 the late 80s no early 80s <laughs> um so yeah. now you know there's there's been a good body of work and I think you can't take that away because it's there and it's done. And I think a lot of people feel a bit disappointed when they go, oh, there was 20 years when I just got disillusioned and didn't do anything. Whereas actually you've kept a kind of a, a sort of momentum going. Well, well, thank you. There's also a lot uh, of work that has fallen by the wayside um, or that hasn't been released. 
And, you know, um, just a couple years ago, I realized that I hadn't stopped. Just just seriously, a couple of years ago, I thought, oh, my God, I, I really ha- I haven't stopped with this stressful life of music. <laughs> I haven't stopped, um, you know, just just for a matter of months at a time. Um, and then uh, I realized, well, I guess you are legitimate. yes you can say that yes i know well ringo Starr once said that didn't he i think right at the end of the beat was it did we pass the test (laughs) probably ringo i think you have and i think that's you know you know with that body of work and you know especially your latest work which kind of reminded me a lot of because i was you know mentioned at the beginning my love of david bowie and his kind of career which was always there with me through my adult life and then sort of black star okay. and, and and you just thought there's there's elements of of that also in in this new album as well of, of black star oh, goodness. wow that's so, tremendous um, to say that thank you yeah i mean that lyrical quality but then both of you have got a lot to sing about which are quite you know pretty raw material mm. really isn't it so um yes, had the idea. That's a, yeah, the true artist really, isn't it? So um there you have it. Wow. Uh, well, I I just want to thank you for being uh, for being patient like I said with my fluttering sentences and ums and ahs and you know. Oh no god, it's magic. Well, look, I will, I'll let you rock on because obviously you've got a lovely uh, afternoon. I'm going to go to bed. But thank you again for your time. <laughs> And um, yes, like I said, um, when Paul mentioned that he'd done this album with you a few months ago, or probably longer, I was very curious. I thought, oh, so when it came out, I was very excited. So, um, and I haven't been disappointed. So thank you for that. And um, I'll keep keep in touch and I'll I'll send you a link as well. And then you could post it on your social media page. I will do. Thank you so much, David. Okay. Have a lovely day and take care of yourself. Thank you. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was, that was the end of the interview, as you probably guessed. Anyway, that was me in a conversation with Shatan Demon talking about her new album with Paul Rosler titled The New Young Kings of Midnight, which is available um, on Bandcamp and various other places, plus CD. You can find that on Dark Vinyl Records, which is a German label. Anyway, this has been the C86 Show, David Easter. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do... C86 show, you'll find it there. Also, all these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? On And you can see those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbeam. It's true. Including one with Paul as well. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe.